Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Today we continue with our ongoing series of retirement conversations, considerations when it comes to Secure 2.0, including a review of provisions for both plan sponsors and individuals, as well as a look at what is coming down the pike in the way of provisions for the year ahead. Joining us for the conversation today, glad to welcome back from the UBS Chief Investor office, Ainsley Carbone, Total Wealth Strategist for the Americas. We're also joined today through our partnership with Columbia Threadneedle Investments by Bonnie Trichel, the founder and chief solutions officer of Endeavor Retirement. So with that, Ainsley, Bonnie, great to be with you both, and thank you for spending some time today with our listeners and clients. Welcome to UBS Conversations. Thank you. Thank you. So there is, of course, a lot to unpack when it comes to Secure 2.0, maybe to set the stage a bit for our clients, our listeners, Bonnie, as there are quite a few intricacies involved here. Can you provide us with an overview of Secure 2.0, which was signed into law back in December of 2022, and the types of provisions currently in place? Absolutely. Uh, thanks again for having me and uh, happy to talk about it. You know, there's only 92 provisions in Secure 2.0, so we could just be here all day having this conversation. Um, just kidding. We'll only cover a few of the, you know, main provisions today. But, you know, this the purpose of Secure 2.0, it's really a play on the prior Secure Act of 2019, which had about 29 provisions. Uh, when we think about Secure 2.0, it's a, a big piece of bipartisan legislation that combined three primary bills, and it was enacted on December 29, 2022. Um, one of the main themes of Secure 2.0 was really this concept around expanding coverage and making sure that more folks have access to retirement savings. There's some other buckets of provisions that we'll talk a little bit about today as well, um, you know, things like how do we think about flexibility for savers in qualified retirement plans? So these are some of the provisions where we're thinking through how do we encourage people to save in a retirement plan because they will have the flexibility to get that money back out. So some of the play on kind of behavioral finance. And those are the types of things like the student loan matching provision, emergency savings provisions, and those sorts of things. Um, we'll also talk about today, and I know Ainsley will hit on some of these things, but some of those financial planning provisions. So we saw many of these in Secure One from 2019, but some of these things that impact uh, RMDs, for example. And then finally, there's a bucket of provisions uh, included that I call the ease of administration for plan sponsors. And when you think about this, uh, many of the provisions included in Secure 2.0, they're actually quite a bit of work for plan sponsors or those employers out there. But there are some that actually make it a little bit easier for plan sponsors to have a retirement plan. So um, I know we'll cover quite a few different provisions today, but um, you know some of the things that I like thinking through are the student loan matching provision, the emergency savings provision, and these are the types of provisions that I'm going to call our optional provisions. So you don't have to add them. So when we think about 92 provisions, there's some provisions that you don't actually have to implement. On the other hand, there are provisions that are required provisions. And those are things like long-term part-time worker provisions or the Roth catch-up provision, which I think we'll probably talk a little bit more about today. Um, but those are things you have to actually make those changes to the retirement plan. 
And so those are not optional. So that's kind of the 50,000 foot view of the types of provisions that are included in Secure 2.0. Well, Bonnie, thank you. That was a great place to start. Very helpful overview, a lot to be mindful of in the way of provisions. So maybe now we can spend a few moments diving deeper into just a few of them. So Ainsley, to welcome you into the conversation, Bonnie touched on a few provisions there that are applicable to plan sponsors. So can you provide an overview of some of the provisions that are relevant to individuals with assets in employer-sponsored retirement plans or IRAs? Yes, absolutely. And uh, I just want to mention or reiterate that, uh, as Bonnie mentioned, there are 92 provisions. So I'm only going to dive into a couple of the ones that are relevant to individuals with assets and employer-sponsored plans and IRAs. I'd say probably the most most common one that I get questions about is the increase to the RMD age or the required minimum distribution age. So for those of you who aren't familiar, a required minimum distribution is essentially a a distribution that the IRS forces you to make in certain retirement accounts once you you reach a certain age. And so with Secure 1.0, it was pushed from age 70 and a half to age 72. Well, now with Secure 2.0, it's moved from 72 to 73 for some individuals. So if you are someone who turned... 72 in 2023, then you get to wait an additional year and take that distribution at age 73. If you're born in 1960 or later, then you're actually able to delay those distributions until age 75. So certainly a benefit because as you take distributions from certain retirement accounts, if it's pre-tax dollars that went in, what happens is you are taxed on those distributions. So sometimes people like to delay these distributions a little bit just because it helps delay that that tax cost. But we can get into that a little bit later in the conversation. But just a few other changes, you know, there are certainly a few changes to catch-up contributions. For instance, IRA catch-up limit is going to be adjusted for inflation beginning in 2024. Uh, I believe it's in 2025. Some employees who are ages 60 to 63 are going to be able to make higher than normal catch-up contribution limits to their employer-sponsored plans. And then there's a catch-up contribution change made uh, to catch-up contributions made to employer-sponsored plans so that if you are making catch-up contributions and you are also being compensated, I believe it's 145000 or more, those catch-up contributions are going to be subject to a Roth tax treatment. And so those are just a few of the provisions that are, are relevant to, uh, to individuals with assets and employer-sponsored plans and IRAs. Clearly a lot there to consider that's already in place, whether in reference to individuals or plan sponsors. As we look ahead, there are several provisions that become effective over many years. So, Bonnie, as we're now approaching year-end, can you focus on the key provisions to be mindful of for 2024? Absolutely. And, you know, one that uh, Ainsley just hit on that I just want to come back to, which people, when in my experience, when I've been having these conversations, one of the big discussion items as we were approaching year end was around this Roth catch-up provision, as Ainsley just pointed out. But our conversation today is super, super timely because we just received guidance from the IRS as of August 25th that actually takes that Roth catch-up provision. So this is for if you have catch-ups in the plan and you're making 145000 or more 
in that prior year, that was actually subject to start effective January 1st, 2024. But really great news. Um, well, good news and bad news, right? Because the implementation around that is so difficult, that has actually been pushed out. So the effective date will now be January 1st, 2026. So I think that's one of the big ones um, that doesn't totally answer your question because it actually, you don't have to pay attention to that for 2024 now, but good news, that's been pushed out to 2026. So I think that's just a really big one to keep in mind that was top of mind for me as I was having those conversations. Um, you know, I think the other one on the plan sponsor side that uh, as we head into year end that people are really mindful of um, is this concept of long-term part-time employees. So not a big one if you are, you know, thinking about it for your own financial planning aspects, but if you're thinking about it in terms of, hey, I've got workers, I own a business, and I'm trying to focus on how this is going to have an impact on my workforce, then it really is around this long-term part-time employees where you have to make the uh, you have to make the plan available for folks to make their own contributions not necessarily the match but for their own contributions other ones as we head into um, year end and think about how you would make changes to the plan for the coming year uh, from my perspective really deal with a lot of what i'm going to call those optional provisions that i mentioned at the beginning of the conversation and those are the things where I think if you are really thinking through how do I want to make the plan as a plan sponsor more appealing to workers, those are some of them that start 1-1 of 24, such as uh, the student loan matching provision and some of these emergency savings provisions. That being said, those are just optional. So that's really if you're just looking for plan enhancements. And then from the individual side, I'd say there are a couple to be mindful of as we're getting into year end in 2024. First one, like I said, the RMD age. If you turn 72 this year, then what happens is you're able to delay your distributions, your required minimum distributions another year. Just because you're able to delay those distributions doesn't mean that you necessarily should. This may actually just be an opportunity for you to think or, excuse me, revisit your required minimum distribution strategy or any of your distribution strategies, because since you're not forced to take these taxable distributions, you may actually be in a lower than normal or lower than anticipated tax year. And so what that means is that this may be an opportunity for some of those who are able to delay those distributions. It may just be an opportunity to withdraw some of those assets out of those tax-deferred accounts, take them out at a lower-than-normal tax cost, and not only take it out at lower-than-normal tax cost, but also reduce the basis on which future required minimum distributions will be calculated on. So, like I said, I think to summarize for the RMD age, just because you can delay those distributions, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should. So, take some time to revisit that strategy. And then, as I mentioned, IRA catch-up contribution limit is going to be adjusted for inflation. So I'd say if you're someone who's eligible to make that IRA catch-up contribution, make sure you sit down and work with your financial advisor to review those contributions so that you can make sure you're, you're making the most of what's available to you. And then the last one I wanted to mention, which I don't think I mentioned previously, was that there is a change to 529 assets. So if you are someone who has... 529 assets that have been in that plan, in that 529 account for 15 years, 
what you're able to do is you're actually able now, beginning in 2024, you're able to transfer up to $35,000 from that 529 to that 529 beneficiaries Roth IRA. And so it's important to note that these, these transfers, they are going to be limited to the annual Roth IRA catch-up limit. So the rollovers would have to happen over the course of a couple years. But a big concern for people who, are, who have large 529 account balances is that they're going to have remaining assets in that 529 once the college education or the education costs have already been, been met. And so they're concerned that these leftover assets are going to have to be taken out and taxed and penalized. Well, this new provision just enables you, it gives you just one more option to take some of those remaining assets out of the 529 without getting penalized. And you actually get to put it in a pretty, uh, pretty beneficial tax account, the Roth IRA. You can put that in there for that 529 beneficiaries Roth IRA. So like I said, it's something that is going to be able to be done in 2024. So just something to keep in mind if you do have a 529 account where the assets have been in there for 15 years, something to consider discussing with your advisor next year. I'm so glad you raised the 529 one because I think when we look at secure overall, you know, in a big package like this, I think, you know, the 529 one from my perspective was such a nice surprise, right? I don't think most folks were expecting that one, but that was just such a nice surprise. So there's things that you get like the Roth catch-up that are such a bummer, but from the 529 perspective, that was such a nice surprise for everyone. So I'm really glad you raised that. Well, a lot there to be mindful of, and it's important to keep current on what lies ahead for 2024 and beyond. So thank you, Ainsley and Bonnie, for hitting on those considerations for both plan sponsors and individuals. We just have a few moments remaining for our time together today. Bonnie, Ainsley, this has been very helpful for our listeners, our clients. Before we wrap up, I do want to give you both an opportunity to share with our listeners some final thoughts and takeaways, perhaps, Ainsley, what we can do. We can provide our guest, uh, Bonnie, with the final word. So I'll go to you first. Ainsley, for anything you would like to leave our listeners with today. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say uh, I don't think we touched on it too much. I know, Bonnie, you did a little bit, but there are two changes that employers are able to implement in your plan. So right now I'm speaking to any of you who are participating in an employer-sponsored plan. Your employer is going to be able to offer matching contributions on a Roth basis, and your employer may also be able to help you save for retirement if you're paying off student loan debt. So with both of those, it, it kind of relates to any matching contribution provisions that are available on your plan. These are great opportunities for some of you if you're looking to add more Roth dollars to your account or if you are someone who is paying off student loan debt but doesn't have enough in the budget right now to make those retirement contributions two great provisions that may be able to uh, be a benefit to you in your plan. But like Bonnie said previously, these provisions are not mandatory. There are some that are mandatory from Secure 2.0, but not all of them. And these are two of them that are not mandatory. And so your employer would have to implement them voluntarily. So I just suggest contacting the employer just to find out if it's something that they have on the horizon, if they plan to incorporate these provisions, and if so, when. And if it is something that's going to be made available to you in your plan soon, then certainly share the details with your advisor just so that you can kind of figure out how to incorporate that into your financial plan. 
Thank you, Ainsley. Uh, Bonnie, any final thoughts or takeaways you would like to leave us with? Yeah, absolutely. I think from the employer perspective or from the plan sponsor perspective, it may seem, you know, we started out by saying, well, there's 92 different provisions. And it may seem like that's really overwhelming. But when you start to narrow it down, as Ainsley was just uh, reminding us, you narrow it down based on what's optional versus what's required. And then you can look at, you know, the timing of these, as we talked about earlier, as we head towards 2024, or as we're seeing, you know, some of these were intended to be implemented at one date, and then they might get pushed back to 2026, for example, or maybe even beyond that. But when you start to narrow it down based on what you're required to do, and then the timing aspect, it starts to become much more manageable. So I would just encourage if you are someone listening who's an employer or a plan sponsor, rather, um, you know, think about what you're required to do, review those provisions, and then determine who are the service providers you're working with. So that's your record keeper, your payroll, and then make sure you're working with a knowledgeable retirement plan advisor to really help you start to implement these changes. And you can develop, <clears throat> you can develop, pardon me, a strategy to make sure you're watching for additional updates and working with those service providers. And Secure 2.0 becomes much more manageable and helps you really benefit those employees to do things like, you know, add broth potentially or pay off student loan debt, depending on what's best for your participant population. So um, I think that would be just my takeaways for employers who are listening. Well, Bonnie Ainsley, thank you both for spending some time with our listeners, our clients here on UBS Conversations for what was a productive, timely conversation as you both encouraged for our clients listening in. The conversation should indeed continue with your UBS financial advisor. If you have any follow-up questions based on what you've heard today, again, Ainsley, Bonnie, thank you again for spending some time with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.